Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks Next for listening. Next guest is Dennis Matthew. Dennis is an elementary school speech pathologist, singer, songwriter, and author. For over 20 years, Dennis has had the joy and honor of working with children in public schools and through nonprofit work. In 2018, he launched his authorship, Bringing Children's Stories, Integrating Social-Emotional Wholeness, Language Enrichment, Critical Thinking, and Conflict Resolution and Character Development to Life. His published works so far are Bello the Cello, My Wild First Days of School, and How Grizzly Found Gratitude. He's also a singer-songwriter with published, a published music album called, for schools called The Let's Roar Experience. Through his books and music, Dennis has reached tens of thousands of students worldwide since 2018. He eagerly looks forward to hearing from you to work with your school community to spread joy through story and song. Welcome to the podcast, Dennis. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. Yeah, so um, I think of uh, the inception of my authorship would be a great um, example of being in a trench uh, emotionally and professionally at the time. Um, you know, I want to invite you to the summer of 2017, uh, where I just kind of, uh, found myself, uh, in a, in a dry spell, so to speak. Um, professionally, I kind of lost the joy of working in the education field. I don't know if the journey had kind of gotten monotonous and mundane, um, I don't know if that's what it was. The routine of it all was just kind of getting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, on top of that, I also hit a, a time window where I was unemployed, so I could not find work as well. So um, it kind of, you know, came to a um, high pressure point in life where I had to provide for my, for my family. And I found myself in a place in life where I never thought I'd, you know, find myself in. And that's kind of where, um, for for lack of, you know, having anything else to do with my time, I decided to kind of put pen to paper and and write the story that I had uh, in my mind for over a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, just a concept that I had about a little cello going to school and kind of discovering his song and his purpose. Uh, kind of like I was wrestling with my own, you know, song and purpose and, you know, at that particular stage of my life. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where Bello the Cello uh, found its origin. And uh, uh, that's definitely a, a hard point in my life when I look back. And it's definitely mm-hmm. a place in my life where I would say is a, is a trench moment. Uh, so now where you're finding me is, um, you know, I've been on my authorship journey for four years now and um, coming up on some 50,000 books distributed uh, of these little stories that I've written along the way. So that what what what, it, what what that low point in life kind of pushed me to do was to kind of find a regenesis of sorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've, I'm, I'm in a place where I have found new joy, um, you know, uh, for, for, for working in the education field. Again, I feel like I have, um, you know, a, a, a fresh wind, so to speak, under my mm-hmm. wings to kind of keep going for the next, you know, hopefully 10 to 15 years or whatever. Um, so I, I find myself um, 
having kind of found that joy again. And, and I also let my work in education inspire my writing, whether it's writing more stories for the future or writing mm -hmm. songs. So it kind of one feeds the other. Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I am now in life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's always good to constantly evolve and find out what, you know, helps you grow as an educator <sighs> and as a human being. So um, you talked a little bit about Bello the Cello, but I'd like you to choose one of your three books and highlight a little bit about just uh, uh, what a readers can get out of the book, kind of what inspired you um, in making the story happen. Yeah, so so when I write, I, I generally kind of have a two-pronged approach as to why I write, why I create the stories that I create. One, mm -hmm. I definitely want to see uh, students identifying with the emotions and the characters and the stories that I write. That's one mm -hmm. big purpose for me. Um, I don't write stories that are just very um, like wafer thin and, and surface level where everything's mm -hmm. hunky and dory and like, um, you know, so, so I definitely dig into uh, emotional conflict in my stories mm -hmm. and make it palatable, make, make very heavy topics palatable, even for the youngest of children to kind of maybe start having that conversation about unresolved emotions that they may be carrying within themselves, uh, say with a counselor or a parent, um, just because I want I want our our, our children to uh, be very self aware um, mm -hmm. and also mm -hmm. learn those skills that they need to regulate you know uh, emotional difficulties that they may be carrying within themselves due to mm -hmm. whatever life life circumstance that they may be facing either immediately or indirectly. So you know that's a big part of social emotional wholeness. Uh, so I definitely make sure that my stories lead children to kind of ask themselves the question, what is that feeling within me that I am feeling? Where does that feeling come mm -hmm. from? How can I talk to a responsible grown-up about, uh, whether, whether that's my dad or mom or my counselor at school, about these unresolved emotions that I have within me? So that's one big reason why I write. I want children to identify with the emotions and the characters in my stories. I want them to see themselves in my story. That's one. Mm -hmm. uh, purpose number two as to why I write is, is because I want my, my stories to be resources for the classroom teacher uh, mm -hmm. to kind of glean curriculum content, um, you know, for the purposes of lesson planning and things of that nature for the classroom. So um, so on, on one side, I want I want children to be able to see, the, see themselves in my stories. But on the other side, I want educators to feel like, man, I can really take this particular story and and work off of it for a month and glean mm -hmm. different lessons, whether that's vocabulary enrichment, whether that's critical thinking, whether that's, you know, um, identifying and analyzing emotions. Um, so, so all of those, you know, content areas, I want my educator friends to be able to use my books and work off of it for their classroom, you know, curriculum goal purposes. So those are the kind of two reasons why I write and create, whether those, whether it's stories or songs. So coming back to now, Bello the cello is the story that mm -hmm. I'll kind of use to address your question. The emotional kind of conflict question in the book is, what is my life's purpose? Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like uh, with Bello the cello, um, we can kind of plant the seed, even even the even the youngest of our students. Um, you know, uh, as, as to 
um, you know, maybe to have them start asking the question of what are my strengths? What are my, you know, zones of power where I am uh, my mm-hmm. very best and how can I start building in those areas? Whether, mm-hmm. whether you know, their area of strength is math or I've got uh, great go- gross motor skills and I'm good at, at, at you know, uh, physical tasks. Maybe I'm, I'm wired to be an athlete and maybe that's where I can start um, investing my energies or maybe I'm into music and art. So it's just to kind of get our young minds to, you know, to get their wheels turning uh, in regards to where they think their mm-hmm. their strengths lie, and I, I don't think a, a child is um, you know a child is never too young to start processing and wondering uh, where their strengths lie as a as a person, as a student, as a family mm-hmm. member. So so the large question in Bello the cello is what is my life song? What is what is my mm-hmm. life my my life's contribution to this world? That's the big. Mm-hmm you know, $50,000 question in Bellow the Cello, but it's distilled and mm. and brought down to the narrative of a little cello, okay. wondering where's my place in my classroom? All my friends around me seem to have their own song. The tambourine's doing his thing. The saxophone's doing his thing. The drum's doing her thing. Where do I fit in, right? Mm-hmm. And that whole like, where do I fit in? What's my place in the world is a question that all children Heck, even grown-ups think about, and uh, it's it's part of that evolution, evolving that you kind of touched on a little a little while ago. So that's that's the whole point of Bello the cello. Uh, if if you feel lost internally, wondering where's my place in this world, mm-hmm. um, then I I want Bello's dilemma in Bello the cello uh, to kind of resonate with the child that's having those same questions about. How do I find my way in this world? And then in the story, you will see that the moon, the character of the moon and the character of Miss Melody, the teacher in the classroom, uh, kind of have dialogue with Bello and kind of point him in the right direction. So that's that's another way of telling our children who have internal dilemmas about who they are and their place in this world, that you don't find your way in, find your way in this world on your own. You, you, you know, we have to walk together with people who can kind of, help us in discovering who we are or point us in the right direction. So Cello the Cello is also about community. So it's about planting those questions in children's minds about where do my strengths lie? What's my place in this world? How do I fit in? Which is not a bad question to ask. And then pointing children to walk in community with people that will help them discover themselves, whether that's being in you know, in, in the classroom with the right teacher that will help you discover who you are, where your strengths lie, whether you're good at science or math or athletics or whatever, or, you know, what is it, what does it look like walking alongside your family members and discovering who you are and, you know, finding the larger narratives of life, you know, mm-hmm. what's beautiful about my heritage, my culture, all of those, mm-hmm. all of those mm-hmm. big conversations. So that's what Bello the Cello is, all, uh, that's what Bello the Cello is all about from the perspective of the student. And then from the perspective of the educator, you know, you talk about the arc of a story, the the uh, different facets of the characters in Bello, the cello, how Miss Melody is the encourager and how Mr. Moon uh, is also, um, you know, a facilitator when it comes to self-discovery. So for the teacher, I'm hoping that he or she can see their role as being the encourager, the facilitator to the bellows mm-hmm. in their room. 
And so, you know, I also hope teachers will bring in the synergy of Miss Melody's classroom into their classrooms and see mm -hmm. and show children. Look at how Bellow's friends encouraged him. They didn't put him, they didn't put him down, even though he didn't fit in. So bringing the chemistry and the culture of Miss Melody's classroom into their own classrooms and, and helping students identify those um, cult positive culture like markers uh, for their own classrooms. And then I, you know, I'm hoping that educators will collaborate with each other. So uh, a lot of music teachers and art teachers have used Bello the cello for doing uh, art lessons in their room, whether that's, you know, creating the patterns, um, mm -hmm. you know, whether, whether that's students creating the patterns they, that they see in Bello the cello, whether that's music teachers, you know, uh, doing a lesson on musical instruments because Bello the cello mm -hmm. has a wide array of instruments. So from, from an educator standpoint, I'm hoping that they'll, I'm hoping that educators will use it for art, use it for music, but also use it for um, talking about the vocabulary that kind of revolves around a positive culture in a classroom and having that discussion, having that conversation with their students. So going back to uh, why I write, I want students mm -hmm. to see themselves in their books mm -hmm. and I want educators to be able to use the content in my stories to enhance the positive experience that students have in their classroom, both from a, from an academic standpoint, but also from a, from a culture building, social, emotional wholeness, community building standpoint as well. Yeah. And it sounds like you have a, a culture responsive piece as well in the stories where, you know, kids can see themselves, like you said, and make, uh, aspects of the culture of uh, Miss Melody's classroom um, into their own classroom. So yeah, thanks for that explanation. Um, I wondered a little bit about um, getting some of the books out to um, kids in schools. You said that through um, your company that you've helped distribute to some public schools in uh, the recent year, at least. Tell me how yeah. that uh, takes place. Yeah, so most schools kind of get a hold of me through my website, through my social media handles. Mm -hmm. So on Twitter, uh, I'm Stories by Dennis. On Instagram, I'm Books by Dennis. I'm on Facebook as well. But if educators go to booksbydennis.com, uh, that's the website for my LLC, Books by Dennis. Uh, that's where a lot of schools uh, kind of use the contact page to get a hold of me. And uh, mm -hmm. And since starting my authorship in 2019, like I was telling you in our kind of pre-conversation um, or, or maybe at the outset of our, our conversation. Yeah, I've, I've distributed now, coming up on having some 50,000 books distributed to over 200 schools nationally. And, and a lot mm -hmm. of that is through those, you know, conversations that I have with hundreds of educators on social media and through my web. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. Website, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And some of that, um, I remember when we spoke on the pre-chat, you talked about a lot of that's you just kind of physically packing in the books and distributing them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so you know, um, just very fortunate to uh, kind of have a very hands-on approach. Uh, I do mm -hmm. all of that work. I you know, initiate or sometimes receive these, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations with hundreds of educators nationally. And that's that's a huge point of joy and honor for me that I get mm -hmm. to do that, that I get to 
uh, speak with teachers, principals, librarians, superintendents. Mm -hmm. uh, these, these are our valuable educators. Uh, I mean, the greatest resource our country has. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I, it's, it's such a, a statement of honor for me to say that I get to talk to hundreds of educators nationally. And I get to receive these requests from schools that say we would like 600 books of Bellow, 600 copies of Bellow the Cello, or we want 1,200 copies of mm -hmm. How Grizzly Found Gratitude. And it's, it, and it's very humbling to say that I get to pack those books and ship them personally, um, as opposed to someone else doing it for me, an agent doing it for me or something. You know, I, and that happens in, in rare occasions too, if there mm -hmm. are time constraints mm -hmm. and whatnot. But most of the time uh, I'm the one shipping uh, and packing um, my book. So about 85 to 90%. So I'm, I'm getting ready to send about 400 books to Montana. Um, mm -hmm. you know, just to give you a little insight there, um, because around 15 schools are coming together to have me come for a day of events, um, at, you know, multiple school districts. They're coming together to like, you know, to one location to do two big events, that kind of a thing. So, um, yeah, so I, so I, I, it's it's so cool, um, and, and I, I, I'm, you know, it's not lost on me that that it's so rare mm -hmm. uh, that I that I get to play that role, being mm -hmm. someone who's a full time educator currently, but also an author, um, and and the fact that I get to like send the the work that I've created personally to educators and who then kind of you know like pass it on to the students uh, in their buildings. Yeah, I'm very fortunate mm -hmm. to be able to do that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so you also do virtual visits, um, especially during the pandemic. And like you said, you are visiting some schools in person, uh, but are you available for virtual visits? And um, how does that work? Is it usually an assembly? Is it for an individual teacher? And how long do you usually read your books for? All of the above. Uh, at the end of the day, it's about what the school is looking for. Uh, during the mm -hmm. pandemic, those two years where we're kind of in the dark, uh, in so many ways, uh, I did some 250 virtual author visits mm -hmm. um, and the scheduling of that, the duration of that, um, it all comes down to what the school is looking for. So I've done short mm -hmm. 15 minute author visits. I've done author virtual author visits that are an hour and 15 minutes long. So mm -hmm. I've had over a thousand students tune in uh, at one time onto a Zoom wow. author visit. Um, I've had I've done virtual author visits for two kids, um, mm -hmm. just for two students, uh, because, you know, and, and it see at, at the end of at the end of the day, like this is what it all comes down to the experience of each and every child. Uh, mm -hmm. I know we um, I know uh, I set up an author visit for a teacher and um, her whole class was invited. They all got books. But when it was time for the actual uh, visit, only two students tuned in and and the teacher apologized and she was just like mr matthew i'm sorry that i was like no way for these two kids that i've joined yeah. right they are getting a very personal experience and this personal experience is all the world for them right it, it means all the world to them and so i presented to those two kiddos like i was presenting to a thousand kids you know with mm -hmm. with my energy still say the same so at the end of the day it's about it's about those children and opening their eyes to the possibilities of what literature can be, what children's literature can be, what music can be. And it's also about opening their eyes to what they can possibly be in the future, right? Mm -hmm. It's all about stirring their little imaginations to create, write, sing, imagine brighter futures mm -hmm. for themselves, whether that's 
in science or math or whatever, because I, I, I break down my narrative for the people who attend the visits, telling them, hey, listen, I'm a, I'm a school teacher. I work at a school, but I also <laughs> wanted to become an author. So I, I decided to pursue that dream. Uh, and I didn't leave my day job. I, I'm doing both. Right. So I want children to be able to picture that for their futures to that, that they can be anything they want to be if, mm -hmm. if they imagine and pursue uh, those goals and obviously work hard. I, I make it sure um, I, I make sure to tell my children, my students who are watching that there is no substitute for hard work. Like there is no mm -hmm. there, there are no shortcuts if you want sustained results over a long period of time. So, you know, yeah. I absolutely do virtual visits. Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. Well, you talked uh, in just your last response about you are still time, a full-time uh, speech language pathologist. So talk about um, kind of how your work as a speech pathologist has evolved into songwriting um, and that you started dabbling in songwriting in high school and like, you know, working with language um, kind of has that uh, same similarity to writing song lyrics. So you're probably um, more of that like linguistic type brain. So uh, talk to me about how that evolved. So I, you know, only later did I realize that that my affinity for languages and accents kind of had a role to play in, in me ending up in the speech language pathology field mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. you're so attuned to and so closely listening to the stories of the kiddos you treat, the students you treat. Mm -hmm. uh, so much of uh, therapy, speech language therapy. So much of that is about therapeutic rapport. And yeah. I'm realizing that over the last 16 years that I have had boys and girls sit across from the table in small group or one-on-one -on -one sessions, uh, telling me their stories. Right. And, yeah. and, and I was like, you know, and this is hindsight's 2020. I'm realizing, my gosh, we're all walking stories. Right. And mm -hmm. stories are full of language and narratives. Well, uh, if you, and if you think about it, songs are also stories put to music, right? Narratives put to music. So three, three, four years into this, I realized, man, I didn't start a whole new chapter of, of living. I'm, it's just an extension of what I've already been doing. I've been listening to stories of hundreds of children, hundreds of boys and girls in my therapy sessions. Uh, mm -hmm. I've been listening to stories. I've been you know, you know, whether it's building on language skills or working on articulation skills or working on social skills, right? Um, I, I'm realizing, man, I've been working with stories for the last 16 years. Now I just happen to start, you know, I also just happen to, you know, have, have started writing stories, like creating new stories. So, and and the same thing, like you, you and now, that, and when you think about it, I, what I, what I do is I glean, the, I take the lessons in my stories and I put them to music, right? So, mm -hmm. Um, so, so how Grizzly found gratitude is about gratitude. Uh, and, and from that kind of, I, I got a spark of inspiration and was, you know, was kind of led to write a song about gratitude. So mm -hmm. I feel like the story writing kind of lends itself to songwriting as well. And I feel like the story writing often comes from my daily experiences with boys and girls, with students and their families, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes their narratives inspire me to create narratives for children's books. Uh, so mm -hmm. I feel like they all kind of feed uh, each other, which is a great place to be in life. Um, you know, seeing one chapter of my life continuing, but also lending itself to subsequent chapters of my life um, mm -hmm. is, is very cool and inspiring. So 
I feel like being a speech pathologist, I, I dwell in the realm of language constantly, uh, the meaning of what people are saying uh, and, and the origins of those stories. So um, since I kind of live in that, you know, language domain, I find it constantly inspiring me to write narratives that are rich in language. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's great how you can use like some of the inspiration from that many years of working with students and realizing their stories everywhere. And, um, you know, you also talked a little bit about like just getting um, your company off the ground. You started with book fairs and promoted on social media. So how have you um, basically through those things uh, gained a lot of um, uh, schools um, that want to bring you in and buy your books? Uh, has it just been a slow and steady uh, pace or did it explode kind of during the pandemic? Very, I will say um, I had to do a lot of um, legwork, like a lot of like upfront, um, you know, sweat equity, so to speak. I had to yeah. sew in, uh, you know, at the, at the very outset. Uh, and I will say the pandemic and, and schools looking for uh, virtual alternatives to having speakers and presenters in their building, like that that need that schools had kind mm -hmm. of was fuel on 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 you know the fire that that I had kind of started in the very beginning. So the pandemic really did amplify uh, these virtual experiences, which kind of facilitated mass distributions of books because I don't I don't charge schools for my visits. I don't charge school for my presentations. Uh, so my presentations are completely free. What schools compensate me with or pay me with are these massive book purchases for their mm -hmm. students. And so when schools purchase these books in large quantities, they get large discounts on the books as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's a big you know win-win for the schools. I mean, they're getting a, a free presenter uh, and they're getting books for the kids. Their kids get to walk away from the experience with a tangible book in their hand. So yes, the, 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 the two-year window of, of the pandemic where schools were shut down, uh, that kind of did like amplify uh, the work, you know, the prep that I put into like getting the, getting this thing off the ground. I will also say it is a marathon. I mean, yeah, you, know, you, yeah. you do one, you do one visit, you make sure you do your very best for that school and then word gets around. Hey, we had a visitor, we had a presenter and it was really good. We highly recommend that you guys get Dennis for mm -hmm. your school. Like, so it's, there is a trickle, you know, effect, um, you know, kind of like you put a pebble in a pond. I mean, those, those ripples kind of go out. Right. So there is an organic kind of, um, marketing, um, spreading of the word, so to speak, that happens when you do these good events. And sometimes I'll tell you, uh, I mean, this is, this is pretty, uh, normal to, to, to keep up with a school district or a school for a year and a half, two years till something pans out because there's a lot of, you know, um, you know, funding and logistics issues that need to fall in line mm -hmm. for an author vis visit, uh, a literacy event to happen. So it's very normal for me to follow up with multiple schools at the same time for a period of a year, a year and a half, two years uh, to kind of see something actually come to pass. Um, which is where a lot of like first time authors kind of lose heart 
um, yeah. because you know they send an email, they send another email, they call, leave a voicemail, and just the not hearing back from whoever they're trying to reach to that that can be discouraging. But I made it a point to not just wait on one school to respond to me. So 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 what I do is I I reach out to a bunch of schools, um, and you know it's almost like when finally I get that call back, it's like a surprise, and I was like, oh yeah, mm -hmm. I've been waiting to hear from you. So I like those, you know, call, you know, those return calls or those return emails that come out of the blue because I wasn't sitting there waiting on it. I was, I kept on working, right? Uh, and I just waited for um, the school to respond when they were ready. And sometimes it's just a matter of like, okay, Dennis reached out to us, uh, but in the, but as we take time to decide if we want to move on, Dennis, we see Dennis moving on and yeah. having positive results in other schools and other districts, which is more motivation for these schools that are waiting to get back with me to respond to that email or pick up the phone and call me finally or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but, but it's ultimately the children who are um, receiving uh, the benefit of all this. The fact that I can say 50,000 uh, books will have been distributed to some 250 schools come September or October, right? We'll hit mm -hmm. that 50,000 target here pretty soon. Man, a lot of that, a lot of those books, a good chunk, 95%, maybe, um, those books are bought with state and federally allocated funds that schools have to use to buy resources for students. So those 50,000 books, a big chunk of that, you know, uh, went to students without those families having to spend a penny. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so, you know, with, with the inflation thing going on and with with the pandemic, uh, you know, so many families didn't have jobs, right? So many, fa so many families were financially struggling. In the middle of all that, it is, it is very humbling, and, and you know, um, uh, it, it brings me a lot of joy to say, even in the midst of that, we were able to get books to kids, mm -hmm. uh, and, and so that's that brings me a lot of joy and and honor to be able to say that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, like you're, you're kind of like that textbook for hard work um, and perseverance pays off. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, I always I always tell my aspiring authors, like, don't be a vendor, genuinely care about the people who you connect with, especially ed especially educators. Educators have, you know, one of the hardest jobs in the world. And so when you reach out to schools, reach out to educators, don't come across as a vendor who just wants to sell a product. Uh, mm -hmm. genuinely make, man, we talk about this in regards to the classroom, making those authentic connections mm -hmm. with our students. Well, that applies to grown up human beings too. Like, mm -hmm. you know, genuinely want to authentically connect with the educator that you're reaching out to um, and, um, you know, promoting your book with or whatever. Like, so, so for me, when I connect with educators, I, I, I let that relationship grow over the course of years where I want to get to know that educator and, and how long they've been in education and, you mm -hmm. know, what's been the high point and the low point in education. And I'll tell you what, in the last three to four years, there have been many instances where I'll, I'll visit a state because a school has organized a visit. And that principal or that teacher, you know, like will invite me, my wife, my daughter over to their home mm -hmm. and we'll have dinner and my my daughter will get to meet their kids and like, you know, their kids get to meet my daughter and I get to mm -hmm. meet you know, uh, Miss So-and-So's husband or Mr. So-and-So's wife. Like it's, that's been a beautiful thing to watch over the last mm -hmm. three to four years where I have now built genuine, authentic friendships where I'm 
where I'm, you know, the educator's family is now friends of my family. Does that make sense? So it's cool to see how writing stories for children has evolved into that, where uh, educators in states around the country are now family friends of ours. Uh, and so, so I always like encourage aspiring authors, aspire, aspiring educator authors too, to work for the long haul, like plant mm-hmm. seeds for the long term, mm-hmm. right? To build authentic, genuine relationships, friendships, connections mm-hmm. with the educators they reach out to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a great um, thing to remember. Um, well, we had a great conversation today on uh, what got you started in writing and um, music and you know your work uh, with both of the uh, careers that you have. Out of everything we talked about, What's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? That they have a story to tell. That every single person listening has a story to tell. That Mm -hmm. it's great to admire someone else's story. It's really great to be inspired by listening to someone else's story. Mm -hmm. But then we've got to go a step deeper and ask ourselves introspectively, man, I have a story. What story do I carry within me that the world needs to hear about. We're mm-hmm. all walking stories. So, you know, when a man or a woman like lives to be 80, 90, whatever, over those nine decades, eight decades, they have accumulated a wealth of narratives and wealth of stories. Um, and, it, and it's a gift to the world to put those narratives and stories out there. So the world will know how, you know, everyday people uh, encountered and overcame challenges and, and how, you know, each narrative, like how their narratives can inspire uh, the ongoing evolving human experience. So my encouragement to listeners is thank you for listening, but now you got a story to tell, get that story on paper, on a tablet, on a computer screen, get it out to the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great message. Where can people connect with you and find you online? So booksbydennis.com is, is a great, you know, uh, one stop kind of uh, place to kind of see what I do. Also a great way to like get a hold of me. But then Twitter, uh, that's where a lot of educators connect with me. Stories by Dennis is my handle. Instagram's another great place, Books by Dennis. Um, And then Facebook is where I connect with thousands of educators. So just look up Dennis Matthew on Facebook. That's Matthew with one T, no Mm -hmm. S at the end. Uh, You'll see a picture of me. Uh, my beautiful wife and my beautiful daughter. Um, and then feel free to message me or, you know, reach out or add me on Facebook. So those are all great ways. Uh, but the website's always a great place to start. Great, great. Well, thank you so much for being my guest on the Out of the Trenches podcast. Dude. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. We finally made it happen. Thank you. <laughs> Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it, and if this episode resonates especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of Trenches PC. Mm-hmm.